Hey, good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Welcome to New Life Patterson. My name is Jeremy. I'm the campus pastor here uh, for this location, the New Life Christian Center. So great seeing you here uh, this morning. Isn't God good? Man, we see what God's doing in our campus and in our community. And uh, man, we serve a real big, good God. And so it's so great seeing you here this morning. Hey, as you came in, you probably received uh, one of these programs. If you want to take it out, you can look on the front of that and see everything that's coming up here at the campus this week. And then on the back of that, uh, you'll see where we have uh, some fill-ins. If this is your first time here, this is how we keep up with our messages here at New Life. You can also do that through our app. If you want to take digital notes, you can do that through our app. Just download our app, New Life Christian Center. Uh, but you, you can uh, take notes here through the message. We're going to be going through that here in just a few minutes. Um, also, just a few announcements that we want to go through this morning. Uh, first of all, if you uh, are in our ladies' Bible study, our ladies' Bible study it meets on Monday evenings and Tuesday mornings, and they're going to be doing uh, beginning a new series, a new book uh, from the author is, what's her name, Lisa? Lori Short, Lori Short, and so Lori Short is actually the speaker that's going to be at the Refresh Conference. So if you look on your program, you'll see for all you ladies, uh, the Ladies One Day Conference is coming up uh, on, in, on May 6th, and so Lori Short is going to be the speaker for that conference, and so that is the series, that's the study that the, the Women's Bible Study is going to be doing uh, beginning tomorrow. So if you have any more questions about that, uh, go see Lisa. She can answer some of those questions for you. Also, um, if you are one of our volunteers and you serve regularly, or you're going to be serving on one of our Easter teams, then we're going to be having an orientation next Sunday, immediately following the service. So on the 26th, not today, but next Sunday, and we are looking to add about 10 more volunteers. So if you are available that morning, uh, we're going to be uh, we're, we need you. Uh, so we have two services on, at 8.30 and 10 for, for Easter. And so speaking of that, if you'll see this Easter invite, if you have one of these, wave it at me. All right, there you go. All right. So I know that you, that you should have gotten some of these as you came in. These are our Easter invites. Aren't they cool? Yeah, they're a little better than just kind of a four by six piece of paper. Uh, so these are our Easter invites. So we want everyone in here to grab a stack of five or so and hand them out to people that you want to invite to our Easter services at 8.30 and 10 a.m. But if you are available to help us uh, serve in any capacity, whether it's our parking or being part of our welcome team, our ushers, greeters, helping out with kids, uh, we could use you, okay, because that's going to be a really big day for us. And so we're needing um, all the help that we can get. Uh, also, if you came prepared to give today, we want to say thank you for doing that. If you're here for the very first time, then this does not apply to you, okay? You sit back and just allow God to do something really amazing in your life. Uh, these are for people who already call New Life Patterson their home church. So those of you who um, are already part of our faith family, uh, we would just want to uh, say thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity. If you've never uh, begun that spiritual discipline of giving, let me encourage you and challenge you uh, to do so. And so there's different ways you can give back to God through new life. You can just give that physically here. We have a giving box located at our exit. You can just drop that off into there. And, uh, or you can give through our, our texting ability through our app, or you can do that uh, through our website. You can mail that in. But however you decide to give back, we want to say thank you uh, for doing that. You know, I, I, I had to... Our, our country is in a, um, you know, the last three years we've been in a state of fear. And so it's really easy for us to hold back uh, in our resources, isn't it? Especially if you, if you watch the news. Let me just encourage you, turn the news off. 
I had to turn it off because the news actually, the, what I've been watching of it actually is the antithesis of what scripture says because the news is fear, fear, fear. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. And we actually see in, in the scripture 365 times, there's also 365 days a year, 365 times where we, say, where, where we read, do not be afraid. So if we are serving Jesus, if we are following Jesus, let me just encourage you, do not fear. All right, when it comes to our resources, when it comes to serving, when it comes to uh, following Jesus, do not be afraid and let's pursue Jesus, okay? Sometimes we just got to turn the news off and, and read scripture because that, for, for me, it, it brings me peace. So also, if you are here for the first time, we have a gift for you. Uh, we have this mug. It's got our New Life logo on it. And so as you leave, just walk out those doors, turn left, you'll see our welcome center and you'll see these sitting on our bookshelf grab one of those. This is just a small gift from us to you to say thank you for checking us out. And if you are here for the first time and you do not have a home church, then we want to say to you, welcome home. Amen. Amen. Hey, before we get started, check out this video. Well, last weekend we kicked off our series Against All Odds. Can you believe that we are only three weeks away from celebrating Easter? The greatest event in human history, which is the resurrection of our Jesus. So hopefully you've begun some sort of of method, some sort of system by preparing your hearts and your minds for Easter as it comes up. Maybe by participating in Lent. Those of you that don't know what Lent is, Lent is the Christian uh, celebration of remembering what Jesus did in this 40 days of prayer and fasting. And so it's our, it's our time as followers of Jesus to say, what is it that we can give up? Jesus gave up food uh, for 40 days when he was in the wilderness. And so the way that we honor that, the way that we remember that uh, is by participating. Some of us participate in Lent. We decide that there's going to be something that we give up 40 days leading up to Easter. And so maybe that's been something you've been doing, but maybe it's been some sort of uh, sp uh, specific prayer time. Uh, devotion time leading up to Easter. If you haven't picked something out yet, let me just encourage you to do so. Over the next three weeks, think about it and pray about it and say, what can I begin to do every day for the next uh, 21 days leading up to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior? Because heart preparation, heart preparation is one of the most important things we can do when connecting with God, especially in a season when we should come with this expectation, with this anticipation of God moving, not just in our lives, but in the lives of those that we dearly love. How many in here could say that you have members of your family or friends that you would love to see following Jesus? Yeah, nearly all of us, right? Me too. And so during the season leading up to Easter, what if we pursued Jesus differently? What if we were intentional and focused on the names that we have in our mind by verbally calling them out in our, in our prayers and asking God to begin today softening their hearts, opening their hearts to the good news of who Jesus is and how he can transform their lives. You think, you know what, Jeremy, I'm just not really good at that. That's why we wanted to help you. And that's why we have these invite cards. So Remember the names that you put this card, remember the, the names that you're giving these to. 
Write them down. In your quiet time, pray over them. Put this in their hand and say, hey, I don't know what you're doing for Easter, but I'd really love for you to join me in my church on Easter, either the 8.30 or the 10 a.m. service, and get them to come. And so when they get here, let's pray that God is softening their heart and opening their heart to be receptive to the hope and the joy of Jesus. So this is just another tool that you can use to help you do that. Because I believe that this year can be This year can be one of those years where they look back on the names that you have, the names that you write down, the names that you have been praying for. I believe that they can look back and say 2023, Easter of 2023 is when I surrendered my life to Jesus. It's when I made the decision to give my life to him and he began to lead my life. Make that, make that your prayer. I think let's all make that part of our prayer. So last week we began this series by talking about some of the predictions some of the prophecies of Jesus given by a prophet named Isaiah, seven centuries, 700 years before Jesus was even born. You remember some of the probabilities that we talked about those happening. Over 300 prophecies were given about Jesus, or as the Old Testament referred to Jesus as the Messiah. They didn't know his name was going to be Jesus, so they referred to him as the Messiah. And the odds of just eight of those 300 being fulfilled was a miracle itself. But we serve the God of the impossible, amen? The conclusion was this, that Jesus is true that he keeps his promises, that he's quote-unquote sure that we talked about last week. You can count on Jesus. He's true to his word because it's who he is. It's how he is. Jesus can't separate himself from his character. He can't separate himself from his attributes, love, forgiveness, mercy, grace, justice. Jesus cannot separate himself from what makes up who he is. And if he's sure enough, if he's true enough to go against all of those amazing odds, then he's big enough to handle anything that you're going through today because he knows you. Jesus sees you and Jesus loves you. Scripture says that God so loved the world that he wanted to live in a committed forever relationship with his creation. That's you. And that he sent his son Jesus to die in our place. Because one of, the, one, of the God, one of the promises that God also included was that he was going to send a remedy for our sin nature, which he did. Because humanity owed God a huge debt for our sin, and it was way too big for you and I to pay. In fact, there was no way that we could pay it. The price, the debt that we owed God could only be paid once and for all by perfect, sinless blood a spotless lamb, and that was Jesus. We're going to talk more about that next week. We're going to talk about the lamb going to the slaughter on next Sunday on the 26th. But against all odds, Jesus left his place in heaven. He died on a criminal's cross for our sin, and three days later rose from the grave. And that's what we are celebrating this season. So last week, we briefly, we briefly mentioned some of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled that went against all odds. But for the next few weeks, I want to take a deeper dive into some of those very specific prophecies and see how they really kind of connect with us today. So one of the major prophecies given about the Messiah is that he would remain silent 
in the presence of his accusers. Isaiah 53, 7 says this, he was oppressed and treated harshly. Okay, remember, this is seven centuries before Jesus was even born. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a real problem with this, okay? Not a problem with Jesus staying silent in front of his accusers, but I have a huge problem with me staying silent when I'm being falsely accused, all right? Am I the only one in here? When I was a kid, I would go from like zero to 10 like that if my parents or my teachers or other other, uh, adults were accusing me of doing something that I didn't do. And then my parents would add fuel to the fire by saying, well, if you didn't do it, you wouldn't be getting so mad. No, that's horrible psychology. No, I'm getting really upset because instead of asking me and believing me, you're just assuming that I'm guilty and now I'm really angry because I didn't do it or I didn't say it. Our our kids, they don't stay silent when we're trying to get to the bottom of something, do they? It's really confusing the kind of psychological games our kids play when we're trying to get to the bottom of an issue. And if you're a parent, you know this. Just last week, I was uh, baking something, and the kitchen began to fill with smoke. And I know my family's over there uh, probably snickering at me right now. So I go over, I see smoke billowing from the oven, you know, so I open the oven door, and I see something that's burning on the bottom of the oven. So Janet comes out, and she asks very loudly, a very general question loudly for everyone to hear, who baked something that spilled over in the oven and didn't clean it up? And for the next 10 seconds, the Moore House sounded like British Parliament. <laughs> Everybody's hollering, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, I didn't do it, I don't even cook. I, everybody had something to say about it, you know. I could have put um, a Shaggy song on repeat, it wasn't me. I could, well, there's smoke in the oven, it wasn't me, you know. <laughs> Just over and over. But I get it. It's hard to just sit there and not say anything when someone's accusing you of something of which you know that you're innocent, right? Now, there might be times where you need to speak up, where you have to speak up, specifically when there's no one else to defend you or when you saying something could actually uh, prove your innocence. Okay, those are times where we say, hey, look, you know, I need to speak up in this moment. A week ago, 47-year-old Leon Benson was freed after sitting in prison for 25 years for a murder he had nothing to do with. Last fall, two men were released after nearly three decades in a Georgia prison for a murder they didn't commit. And this kind of justice is happening more and more because of new DNA testing. And when you read the transcripts of this trial of these two men in Georgia, you could, you'll, you'll read and see their pleas with the court and the judge exclaiming, I didn't do this. I'm innocent. They were not staying silent in the presence of their accusers. Instead, they were fighting and begging and pleading for their life because they knew they didn't do it. But not Jesus. Jesus didn't, he didn't defend himself. He never begged for his life. He didn't throw himself at the mercy of the court. He didn't have an attorney speak on his behalf. Jesus knew his mission and his purpose was to die in your place. His mission and his purpose was to die in my place. I mean, imagine yourself 
appearing before these court officials with other people watching. You're being accused of something that could give you the death sentence. You're there without a defense attorney, without a friend, without your parents. No one there that's on your side. Everyone is against you. You know you didn't do. You know you didn't commit the charge for which you're being accused. How would you feel? What would you do? How would you get yourself out of that situation and back into a normal life? That's the situation that Jesus faced, not once, not twice, but six times over a six-hour period in the middle of the night on Good Friday morning 2,000 years ago. And in all six of those trials, he remained humble and silent. What are the odds? If you're taking notes this weekend, write this down for number one. Against all odds, Jesus remained humble and silent. Against all odds, he remained humble and silent. So to help us feel the weight of this this weekend, um, I want to quickly walk through those six trials. And I want to focus on the last moments of the life of Jesus and try to put us on location 2,000 years ago to the best of my ability. Okay, so most of you probably know about the Last Supper. All right, if you're not familiar with the Last Supper, it's that, it's that dinner party where Jesus said to his disciples, hey, we're going to take a really important picture that's going to be looked at for thousands of years. So I need everybody to get on this side of the table, all right, and then strike a pose, all right. I found this one's fun. The wait staff set up for 26 people so all 13 can sit on one side, yeah. Yeah, so th that's kind of the, the Last Supper pick. So Jesus celebrated the Last Supper, what was called the Jewish uh, Seder meal. And they did that on the Thursday night of Holy Week. Afterwards, he walked about 1,200 yards from the upper room over to the Mount of Olives, where he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and where he said that famous line that a lot of us all heard. If you grew up in church, you've heard this. Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Family, listen to me. This location... And with this prayer is when Jesus knew he was to remain silent for the next several hours. It was right here in the garden is when Jesus declared and proclaimed, this is not about me, but rather it's about the will of my father. It was his complete obedience. It was his complete surrender to the will of the father that allowed him to stay humble and silent in the face of his accusers. Because it's from here that the soldiers came to arrest Jesus. So from here, off goes Jesus to a man named Annas. This is trial number one. So Annas was the former high priest of Israel who had been deposed by Rome. So he put his son-in-law in charge, and his name was Caiaphas. And that's a name that you're probably more familiar with. And this sp specific trial is mentioned in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're new to faith, uh, a Bible is separated into two different components, two different parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. The Gospel means the good news. So they're basically the biographies of Jesus. And this trial is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. Now, the trial in front of Annas was a pre-qualifying trial. So they brought Jesus to Annas to basically determine if he deserved to be executed. And Annas decided that, yes, he does deserve to be executed. So he handed him over to his son-in-law for the next phase, the next trial. Well, there was a problem. 
It's in the middle of the night, which was illegal. Plus, there were no charges brought against Jesus, which was unlawful. But Annas wanted Jesus dead. So Caiaphas, the official high priest, his son-in-law, was to come up with some sort of charge. This takes us to trial number two. And this one takes place in the same house, okay, but it's still illegal because it's in the middle of the night. And in addition, Jesus has no legal representation, which is also illegal. And this is also the time, this is also the moment where Peter, who had been following Jesus, denied, three, denied Jesus three times right outside of Caiaphas's house because he's warming himself by the fire. And this was what prompted the rooster to crow. And in this trial, Jesus was charged with blasphemy. Remember, they got to come up with something. So they're probing Jesus, asking him all kinds of questions because blasphemy to the Jewish people carried out the death sentence and that's what they needed. That's what they needed against Jesus. They needed him to do something to which they could give him the death sentence. Listen to all these false accusations made against Jesus. We're gonna be in the book of Mark, in the gospel of Mark. If you have your Bibles with you, chapter 14 it's a lot of scripture, so we didn't put them up on the screen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew or Mark chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 55. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some right up here. These are New Testament. Mark is the second book of the New Testament. I'll give you just a second to turn there. Mark chapter 14, 55 through 64. If you're there, say, I got it. If you don't, say, hang on. Okay. Oh, my son, no. You should know this. You should have this memorized. You're the pastor's son. Okay, here we go. 55 through 64. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they, put, so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then, they didn't get their story straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked, and asked Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Basically, I am and I'm God. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, why do we need any other witnesses? You have heard, you have all heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. So this trial ended while it was still dark. So to make it official, a third trial had to be done. So a third trial was, con was convened, which was just after sunrise, around six o'clock in the morning. Only this time it was done in front of the Sanhedrin, which is also the Jewish high council. This is trial number three. Mark 15 and 1, very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council met to discuss their next step. They still didn't know what to do. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. That's a, probably another name that you're familiar with. And this trial was pretty much Jesus's death sentence. Since Israel was ruled by Rome, 
the Israelites and the Jewish community didn't have the power to execute someone. They didn't have the power to carry out someone's death sentence. So they needed someone in an official governmental role to actually uh, make the claim, that, to actually give the death sentence. So they needed Pilate's permission. Mark uh, 2 through 5, Mark 15. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes. And Pilate asked him, are you going to answer them? What about all these charges they're bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Despite all the accusations, despite all the allegations, and even though Jesus said nothing to defend himself, Pilate still found Jesus not guilty. But it's believed that Pilate was actually afraid of the Jews. So to put the blame on someone else, he sent Jesus to a man named Herod, who was the officially sanctioned Jewish ruler. And the Jewish people did not like this at all. They wanted Pilate to sentence him to death right then and there, but he wouldn't do it. They were furious with Pilate and insisted that Jesus was guilty, even coming up with even more accusations against him. But Pilate sent Jesus to Herod for him to deal with him. Pilate didn't even want to deal with Jesus. So he sent him to Herod. And this takes us to trial number five. And Herod was absolutely loving this because he had heard rumors about this man named Jesus who was performing miracles. And so he wanted Jesus to come in and Time and time again, he kept saying to Jesus, perform a miracle, do something for me, do some trick, perform some miracle. I want to see you do this. I've heard about you and I want to see you do something. Almost like a king would a jester. But still Jesus remained silent. Luke 23, 11. Then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and sent him where? Right back to Pilate. Remember, all of this is happening in the middle of the night. Jesus is going from place to place to place in front of person, in front of person. No sleep, nothing to eat, nothing to drink, being smacked, being ridiculed, being spit on. And so Herod found Jesus not guilty as well, sending right back to Pilate. No one wanted to deal with Jesus. And back to Pilate is where the final trial begins. So Pilate gathered the priest. He gathered all the religious leaders. It's around 7, 7.30 in the morning now, along with the crowd. And he says this in verse, verses 13 through 15, Luke 23. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and found him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. And at this point, the people would not shut up. All you have to do is turn on the news and you can see angry mobs all the time. No matter what party you're on, no matter what, what color, blue or red, there are parties going after each other. And when a mob comes after you, we know how ugly it can be. Go back 2,000 years ago. We have an innocent man not saying a word, and the Jewish people, the religious people, the church people, and the pastors are the ones saying he has to die. Crucify him. 
They screamed over and over that they wanted Jesus dead. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And even in their screams, their demands, their hatred, their ruthless aggression for what they wanted, Jesus never said a word. Up all night, exhausted against all odds, Jesus remained humble and silent. And that was what was prophesied 700 years before Jesus was even born by the prophet Isaiah. Let me read that again, Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. What are the odds that Isaiah would get this right? So you think, okay, Jeremy, what's this have to do with us? You may be thinking, you know, where are you going with this? Can I seriously never defend myself? If I'm being falsely accused of something, are you saying that I should just sit there and keep my mouth closed? Nope. Remember, we gave some examples earlier. If you need to defend yourself, if you're being false, falsely accused, if it will help uh, uh, find your, declare your innocence, by all means. Over the last 18 years that Jan and I have been in ministry, we've faced some, some pretty scary times. Sometimes of being falsely accused of things that we didn't do. Now, I don't mean, you know, accusations of moral failure or uh, anything criminal or egregiously sinful, but just your common everyday slander. Probably some of the same things that you yourself have been accused of. Letters, text messages, emails, phone calls, even things said about us on social media. And as hard as it was to swallow our pride and keep our mouths shut and walk away, here's what we have found. God has always fought our battles. God has always fought our battles. Now, my flesh wanted to call them up and use several four-letter words. Trust me. But I refrained and I didn't do that. One time my keys were even in my hand about to drive over someone's house because of someone that, something that they said about my family and I. But I didn't. I've even said to one of my own family members, almost said, I've, I've, I've nearly said to one of my own family members before, this ends our relationship. We are no longer related. I felt like I was the godfather. We're no longer related, you know. But instead, I took a breath. I slept on it, which, by the way, is always an amazing tool to use before you respond. Sleep on it. Pause. Take a breath. Pray. Because, listen, sometimes climbing what's called the, what's climbing up to take what's called the high road. <laughs> You've been there before. You know. Sometimes that's a long, discouraging, and frustrating climb. But once you take it, you will experience the peace and the humility and the quiet in your soul that only Jesus can give. Look what Moses said to the Israelites one time that they needed God to fight one of their battles. They were complaining to Moses about dying in the wilderness. The Israelite army was closing in on them. The Red Sea was in front of them. And Moses said to this in Exodus 14, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. Look at this. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Wow. What if we just stayed calm in a lot of our circumstances? Write this down for number two. Against all odds, Jesus will fight my battles. 
Against all odds, Jesus will fight my battles. Now, even though that was Moses speaking to the nation of Israel thousands of years ago, we can still learn from this. When you're being falsely accused, when your friends, when your family, when your boss is coming against you, when you know you've done nothing wrong, don't be afraid. Watch the Lord rescue you. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And trust me, I know it's hard. Not only is it frustrating, but more than that, I mean, much more than that, let's face it, it hurts. It's painful when people come against us with false accusations. It can crush your spirit. It can cause emotional, mental, and even relational damage. It can even cause some spiritual damage if you allow it to come between you and your faith in Jesus. But here's a verse that proves that God knows all about it and that he cares about the way that you're feeling about this. Look what King David said in Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are what? Are crushed. When your spirit is crushed, do you know that Jesus sees that? And he knows that and he cares about that and he's close to you? When it happens, the Lord is close to you. Remember last week we talked about how God's love chases us down, how God's love pursues us. If you've been wounded, if you've been hurt, if someone has caused you pain, God knows what you're going through. He knows all about the situation. Yes, it's good for us to come to God with our hurts and our needs and our brokenness. But guess what? He already knows. And he's close to you. He's close to you. If your spirit has been crushed, God will rescue you. Now, the vindication may not look the way that you want it to because our flesh gets in the way. We want to be vindicated our way, don't we? But God's like, no, let me vindicate you. Because I've personally learned something else in those moments. In those moments of allowing God to fight my battles, in those moments of allowing God to rescue me and me staying silent, I've also discovered that there's some deep work in me that God's working on. Not only do I believe that God's going to vindicate me and fight my battles, but in that, he's doing something in me. He's exposing something on the inside of me as well. And I've learned that there's freedom in that. Here's the last, here's the last feeling for the weekend. Against all odds, there's freedom in Jesus. There is freedom in Jesus. Some of my circumstances, some of the issues that I've gone through, some of the challenges, some of the battles that I've, that I've allowed God to fight for me have allowed me to see and discover areas of my life that are tender, that are sensitive, that's caused me to pause and to ask, why did that bother me so much? Why did what they say to me, why did what they do to me cause me to almost respond in a very unhealthy way? What's going on in me? Why did I take that so personal? What's going on on the inside of my spirit that I allowed that to bother me so much? And maybe you're here thinking, whoo, Jeremy, <laughs> it would take a miracle for me to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> it would take a miracle for me not to say something. Can I tell you, I've learned this too. There is no freedom in walking around with a chip on your shoulder, just daring someone to knock it off. There is no freedom in that. No one stood up for Jesus. 
Jesus could have spoken up and proved his innocence at any time because he was not guilty. Being tried for blasphemy by saying, I am God, that's what they tried him for. That's not blasphemy because he is, and he was and is God. So he wasn't lying. It wasn't blasphemy. He was telling the truth. So why didn't he defend himself? Again, because he knew his mission. Again, because he knew what his purpose was. He knew his why. Have you ever looked in the mirror and said, what's my why? What's my purpose? What's my mission? Our mission, our purpose, your why is to serve Jesus and let him figure out the rest. Because if Jesus proved his innocence and he didn't die, what's the alternative? (laughs) I mean, humanity had already proved over and over again that we couldn't pay the price for our sin. It had to be Jesus. He was obedient and remained surrendered to the will of the Father and not his own. Ultimately, Jesus stayed silent. Do you know why Jesus stayed so silent? Here's the reason. Because he loves you. When Jesus was staying silent, you were on his mind. He needed to be quiet because he needed this to happen. At any moment, he could have called 10,000 angels to come and get him. He could have said, you know what? I'm out. I'm tapping out. He could have defended himself and they would have let him go. But he knew he needed to go through it because he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And paying for your sin was more important than saving his own life. I want to say that again. Paying for your sin was more important than saving his own life. My challenge for all of us this week is to consider those moments, to consider remaining silent in a moment that you could cause more harm than good. To consider being quiet and showing humility to someone who may be going through something that you have no idea what they're going through. You have no idea the challenge, the struggle, the frustration, the hurt, the pain that they're going through, and they just so happen to take it out on you. If you're innocent, Sometimes allowing our silence and our humility to speak louder than our voice is more important. And even now, you may be thinking about people in your lives that you're like, it is going to take a miracle for me to be quiet around this person. This is a very challenging person to be around. This is a very tough circumstance for me to be quiet. Let me remind you of the words of Moses. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. When you're in those moments where you could really just let somebody have it, when you're in those moments where your your response could ruin your witness, think about those three words. Jeremy, just stay calm and allow God to fight your battles. Will you bow your heads? Father, thank you so much for being our example.
Jesus, thank you for remaining silent 2,000 years ago when all of these false accusations were going up against you, the six trials that you had to endure in a matter of six hours, going from person to person, from, from leader to leader. Jesus, at any time, you could have called your father to come rescue you. You could have called a legion of angels to come rescue you, Lord, but you didn't. Lord, our lives were more important than your voice. And to that we say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I, I know that there are people here that maybe can resonate with something that was said this morning, Lord. I know that even now you're messing with us, Lord Jesus. You're in our spirits. You're, you're or that still small voice in our head, Lord. And even this week, there may be circumstances coming up, issues coming up, Lord, that you know about that we don't, where we have the opportunity to really jump in and let somebody have it to defend ourselves, Lord, but much more than that, God. Lord, let our witness, let our witness be louder than our voice. Lord, you're such a good God, always teaching us, always instructing us, always saving us. Lord, if there's anyone here under the sound of my voice, Lord, who have never accepted you as their Savior, Lord, I pray right now that they will do that. Lord, they, they begin to, to just say this prayer, asking you into their life, forgive, asking you for forgiveness of their sin, repenting of their sin, and asking you to lead and guide and direct their lives. They're becoming followers of you right now in Jesus' name, Lord. I declare it. And Father, I pray that during this season, Lord, for the next three weeks, Lord, you will begin to prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, Lord, so that we can be in perfect union with you. Father, when we're inviting those names, Lord, you know our loved ones, Lord, who we just grieve over that we want to see begin, begin to follow you and begin to pursue you, Lord Jesus. Our friends, our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors, Lord, I pray, God, that we can use these invite cards, Lord, as a tool to invite people to come here about the hope and the joy of you, Jesus. Not for new life, but for the kingdom. For that's what we're about, the family of God. We love you. We ask all these in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, if you did not get some of these, grab a handful. We have plenty. We can make more, I promise. So grab some of these, put these in the hands of someone that you know that you would love to see uh, here, you here with on Easter. Easter is in three weeks, 8.30 and 10 a.m. Uh, also, if you are here for the first time, do not leave without uh, grabbing one of our gifts. And if you came prepared to give, you could drop that off in the, bo in the, in the, um, the box there before you leave. Thank you so much for being here today. We love you guys. We're praying for you. Have an amazing week. We'll see you back next Sunday.